Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to season four of the Finding Refuge podcast. It has been a while and I am happy to be back with you all. I'm excited about this season and to bring some amazing people and voices into the conversation about finding refuge, about care, about what is unfolding on our planet at this time. And today's interview is with Jamila Pitts. I'll share a little bit about Jamila. Jamila Pitts is an author, educator, social entrepreneur, and wellness leader whose work centers the liberation, healing, and holistic development of communities of the global majority. Jamila has worked and served in various roles and spaces to promote racial justice and healing. Jamila has served as a teacher, coach, dean, and an assistant principal. She has worked in domestic and international educational spaces, including Massachusetts, New York, Dominican Republic, China, and in India. As the founder and CEO of Jamila Pitts Consulting, Jamila partners with schools, communities, universities, and organizations to advance the work of racial, social, and intersectional justice through training, coaching, strategic planning, and curriculum design. Jamila is also the founder of She and Prince, an organization serving at the intersection of wellness and justice for women and girls of the global majority. Jamila's written work has appeared in the Huffington Post, Learning for Justice and Ed Week. She has presented to audiences of thousands of educators, both within the United States and internationally. Jamila threads her passion for human rights and social justice into her teaching, writing, scholarship, and other artistic pursuits. She sees education and healing as her life's work and calling, and truly believes that education should be an avenue through which empathy, healing, and justice are promoted. Jamila is certified as a yoga teacher, Reiki practitioner, Omnor retreat facilitator, and is certified as a trauma-conscious yoga guide. Jamila is a proud alumna of Spelman College, where she earned a Bachelor of Arts in English. Jamila also pursued graduate studies at Boston College and Teachers College, Columbia University. Jamila's first book, Toward Liberation, Educational Practices Rooted in Activism, Healing, and Love, was published in November of 2023 by Beacon Press. Jamila is an avid traveler, serious foodie, and dancer. Jamila and I had a beautiful conversation about many things, 
including her new book, Toward Liberation, which I encourage everyone to purchase and work with and share. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the space, Jamila. I am glad you are here. It is lovely to see you and to be able to spend time with you today. And welcome listeners to season four of the podcast. Jamila, we met in, we spent time together in Panama on a retreat, a long journey to Panama and on a retreat. And um, I feel like I got to know you a, a little better through that and spending time together um, in movement and practice and on the beach and with the fire and all of the things. And um, I'm thrilled that we've stayed in community with one another um, and that you said yes to this interview. So thank you for being here with me today. It's good to see you. You as well. I'm I'm just super excited always to just be in community with you and to share in this space with your energy and just thank you for saying yes to this and just the many ways that you've been able to support me and just hold space with them for me since we've met. So I'm just super excited. There are um, just a lot of spaces that I've been in recently. Um, and so I'm excited to be in a space where I know that I will feel held and I'll felt I will feel seen. And I think during this time, like that is really, really precious. And so I thank you for that and for all that you offer in the ways that you do. So thank you. I'm super excited. Yeah, thank you. We can we can dive in. I would love for you to share some about one, how you are right now, whatever you want to say about that. Um, and also for listeners to get a sense of who you are what you practice in the world and yeah, to share some about your work and your practice. Yeah. So I'll start with just kind of where I am right now and kind of just let that flow into just more about my work and, and being, yeah, right now I am, I'm finding refuge. I'm finding peace. I'm finding calm. I'm finding support in just the stillness of just literally taking each day, each moment um, at a time. I'm a deeply sensitive being, a very intuitive being. I'm an, I'm an empath. And so um, this time just feels incredibly heavy for me. Um, I think I often feel a lot of just the heaviness of the world, of my inner world, my external world, those who are in close connection to me. I often feel a lot of that. Um, and the time that we're in right now is just deeply unsettling. Um, I've also just been going through my own personal healing journey the past couple months. Um, and a lot of what I'm learning about that is just the importance of protecting my energy and, you know, being super in tune with my body um, and what it needs in a way that I've never had to be before. The past couple of years, I've experienced a lot of grief. Um, so just a loss and transition of family members, like grieving, just the loss of different types of relationships. And it's, I'm finding myself in this space where I just have to pause 
And so it's it's feeling really heavy right now. And so I have no choice but to, well, I do have a choice, but I am choosing to just, you know, move really slowly and intentionally um, because I'm I'm so delicate right now. And the world is all that is happening, you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of just my who I am, the way that I show up in the world, um, the way that I practice in the world. And I appreciate just your language around that. I always get stuck on this question. I, when people ask like, you know, who are you? Tell me about yourself. I just start with, I am like, I am Jamila. I am a daughter. I'm a friend. I am a sister. I'm an empath. I'm an introvert, but I'm also an educator. I'm an author. Um, I'm a wellness guide. Um, and so that, that manifests in a number of ways through guiding folks in a yoga practice, you know, through meditation, through Reiki. But I, I am. I'm Jamila. I love that um, you began with I am, right? And in what you shared, and as I was listening and receiving your words about your work and your practice, I was feeling into the many different roles and ways you might practice and roles you you fill and ways that you work toward healing, which it sounds like that's, you didn't say this, but it sounds like it's a through line in your work. And as I've been diving into your book, certainly that feels like it's at the core and foundation of your your work in this book and, and toward liberation, which we'll talk about a lot today. Um, I do want to ask a question about, you mentioned your wellness guide, and you also mentioned when I asked how you are right now and what's present, you mentioned the heaviness and being an empath and feeling delicate right now, and also um, being engaged in your journey of healing, maybe in a different way or deeper way. I'm not sure how it's feeling. It sounds like the last couple of months, there's been like you've had to care for yourself and protect your energy in an, in a different way, a new way or an old way and just coming back to it. And I'm, I'm curious to um, hear if you want to share um, more about um, the fragility or delicacy. I don't, those aren't the same words, but I meant it feels like such a delicate time. Right. And and um, we can only take so much. So that's why I mentioned fragility. Like this moment we're in, I'm wondering if you can share some about what you are learning in your healing journey. And the reason I ask this is because sometimes when people talk about wellness or practice, they think there's one way to heal and one way to practice. And and that's not been my experience based on what's happening in the world or what might be happening in my life. And so because I heard like something is happening now in your healing journey over the last few months that maybe is different. I'm wondering how your practice is shifting and what you're noticing. So this will probably come out in a really just scattered way. I'll just, you know, flow with what's coming. Um, so when I initially got sick, um, I was just feeling like really, really tired, really fatigued. Um, thought it was one thing. Um, and so I started to, you know, in the ways that we do just responding physically to what was happening in my body and and nothing was working, having the understanding of just somatics and, um, you know, that the, the body is interconnected, like mind, body, and, and spirit. 
it's interesting because, you know, I teach about this, I write about it, I speak about it. But initially when I get, when I got sick, there was such a rush to just get better, to feel better. And that for me created a ton of resistance. Um, that for me looked like rushing around to just a number of doctor's appointments, you know, to really figure out what is wrong with my body, what is happening. And I like to think that I have a healthy balance between utilizing Western approaches to medicine when it makes sense. And when it feels good for my body, I'm all about, you know, going to your checkups and getting what you need to do in a way that is normalized and like, you know, Western practices. But as a student of yoga, uh, and I think to be a, a guide or to teach yoga, I think that you have to be, you know, a student first and always. Um, and so this, I, I have developed in that practice and in my training, like a really deep appreciation for Eastern approaches to the body and, you know, something that is more holistic and understanding, like what is happening with all parts of me. And it took me a while to realize like, you know, Jamila, if you think about the past just two years, like I've lost, you know, three family members, two of those family members I lost within the span of a couple days, like within the same week, we lost the matriarch of my family. And, you know, while I was able to respond and manage, um, you know, through that grief, I think that I was not making, you know, the connection to the toll that that's going to take on my body and my mind and my spirit, in addition to everything, you know, that is required of me professionally in terms of being an entrepreneur, in terms of holding space for other people, both in the wellness space, but also in the educational space, which comes uh, with a great deal of energy that you're, you're giving. And so it's almost like my body just stopped, like it just, it stopped functioning in the way that I needed it to, in a way that I am used to my body functioning. And so the past couple months, it's really been a practice of just being quite literally. And I talk about that whenever I'm, you know, having conversations with people about like the divine feminine energy and like how we honor that. And, and realizing that for me, it's actually really difficult to take life like a day and a moment and one breath at a time but I have to like that is the only way that I've been able to make it through each day um is to like you know wake up extend a great deal of gratitude for being able to wake up you know to wake up with the amount of energy that I have I've had to be really close to myself I've had to be really tender with myself I have had to learn myself in this new season and I've had to extend so much compassion. Like what you have experienced in this past, you know, two years, maybe mentally you've moved to another place, but just remembering, you know, how much the body stores and how much time that I actually need to grieve and to move through and to heal and understanding that healing is not linear, understanding that some days I'll feel really great and some days I won't. And it's, it's just, it's been delicate. It's been, it's been tender. And I being in this healing process and where I am in terms of just what I'm able to do, my abilities, I've had to cancel a lot of things. I've had to decrease, you know, how much I show up, how much energy that I'm able to give living during this time where there's so much 
harm, so much violence, so much chaos that is happening. And also understanding that, um, you know, in a lot of ways and some of my work, like I do practice and show up as an activist, um, you know, all of my work centers justice um, and anti-racism and to be experiencing my own healing journey in a time where I feel like, you know, you know, I ought to be responding in a particular kind of way, you know, given all that is happening, I'm having to go back to, you know, first and foremost, you have to make sure that you are well, um, you know, before you can pour out, before you can show up in the ways that you're used to. And like, what does that look like for you during this time when you just don't have as much to give as like you've had in previous seasons? Um, and so there's been a wrestling with that if, if I'm if I'm honest, and that's been difficult. So it's, it's just, it's been full. It's been complex, but um, I feel most alive. I feel most supported when I am just pausing, when I'm being, when I'm resting, and when I'm doing things that just, you know, make me feel nourished. That was a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, I appreciate you sharing all of it with us and the vulnerability in that and the um, honesty and the there, there's so much learning and what you shared. And it sounds like a way you said, I got had to get close to myself, right? A way that you had to begin to be with yourself that was maybe different or remembering how to be with yourself and adjust based on what's going on and what you're recovering from or what you're moving through. I mean, I really heard that. And I also really um, appreciate what you named about you said it a couple of times, this, this new season, um, because I often think about the natural world and expansion and contraction and the change in seasons and that it is, it is quite natural for us to experience times when there's abundant energy, right? And then times when there's less energy or our bodies stop and they're letting us know something needs to shift. I'm not saying that's easy and I'm not saying losing two people in one week or one month or one year is is natural. I'm not I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just I'm really present to the flow of expansion and contraction and how dominant culture and grind culture like resists that so much so that there's a way we learn to dishonor how that cycle of expansion and contraction lives inside us. And so I I really your language of new season and then right needing to adjust and to listen and to be close to yourself and um and the struggle around that and cancel things right i really appreciated that i think there's there's learning for everyone in that and that what you named about like if i'm going to show up in all of these ways and specifically if you're showing up in spaces where the trauma or the chaos you're responding to is also affecting you based on your identities right you need you need to be resourced and well to show up in that space right you're not showing up as a bystander you're showing up as an activist who's deeply connected to what is unfolding is what i felt and and heard from you and that's a teaching i feel like for us around taking that time to um, focus on on our wellness and wholeness um, the body, mind, and spirit, as you mentioned, so we can sustain what it is we we want to do, right, or are meant to do, or our path. So thank you for for everything you shared. And I'm I'm curious to know, and I have some questions that relate to your path about 
um, your book toward liberation. And, and generally, I'm curious to know about your, we're talking about your healing journey. I'm curious to know about what led you, and this is a huge question, to this place <laughs> of wellness guide, educator, activist, author, right? Like, however you would, those are roles and titles you shared, but like, they're parts of who you are. I'm wondering, maybe to narrow it, if there are like three things, I mean, you can say what you can take as much time as you want. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by the question, though. Like, I'm just curious to know, I'm always wanting to know how people ended up where they are now and their journey and like what they understand about that. And so if there are experiences you want to share or inspirations, I know you write about your mom and toward liberation as your first educator. I was like, oh, okay, there's the seed, right? I'm curious to know more about your path and how you, how you came to be here now. Well, yeah, that is a big question. I don't, I don't think anyone has asked me that question. So people will, you know, read the bio and even my family members sometimes they're like, what do you do again? <laughs> like there's an understanding of different pieces. Um, oh, wow. How did I get here? So interestingly enough, and I do talk about this teacher um, in the book, I, I talk about being in third grade um, and, you know, I, I think it is important for adults and especially educators, you know, to always ask young people this question of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or um, I remember the the theme around my third grade year was dreams. Um, and so there was so much emphasis placed on um, not only imagination, which is something that is so stripped away from our schools um, right now but also just like the ability to dream. And I remember my third grade teacher, Ms. Jackson, asking me like, you know, what were my dreams for myself? What did I want to be when I grew up? And I remember writing in my third grade essay that I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an author and I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and so if I'm, I'm thinking about it from my, you know, so there's, like the spiritual aspect and the way that I think about just my path and how I arrived here and how, you know, any of us arrive, you know, on our, our paths and the choices that we make, but also a large part of it, I believe in calling. And I believe in, um, you know, there are certain things that are placed within each of us that we are imprinted, you know, to, to do um, and these imprints that we are designed to leave behind, um, which is a, a separate business, but um, and, a, and a part of the work and how I choose for the work to show up. But I remember saying those three specific things. And I think it just came from what I loved at the time and what I aspired to at the time. It didn't feel super deep. I remember that I love school, that I love my teachers, that I love learning. And so I wanted to be a teacher, but I also wanted to be a pediatrician and I wanted to work with women. Um, and so that was in there. And I knew that I loved to write. Um, and so I wanted to be an author. What's so interesting is I look at my bio now and I'm like, wait a minute, because I, um, I think I'm one of those rare educators when I think about the different ways that people enter the teaching profession now, and especially I would say when the, within the past decade or past two decades, um, I was very like focused on what I wanted to do going through elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, I was raised by a single parent. We grew up in a really 
um, and I say this in the book, it was economically and like financially poor, but we were so rich in so many other ways in terms of what my mom was like really intentional about investing in us and pouring it into us. But I saw very quickly and I experienced and, um, you know, through what I was saying and what I was living um, through losing classmates, um, you know, having classmates who are dead, having classmates who are incarcerated. You know, now I understood really early on that education for me was going to be a pathway to freedom. Um, I didn't see any other kind of way to create a life that would be different, you know, for myself, other than just like doing really well in school. Um, and because I had that understanding, I became just really passionate about education. And I knew for a really long time that I wanted to teach. And so I followed the path. I went to school. Um, I went to a historically black college. I went to Spelman, um, which was, oh my gosh, just played such an integral role in, in the woman that I am today. But went to Spelman, you know, went straight to grad school after that. And then I started my teaching career at like 22 or 23. And I also grew up dancing and in the performing arts. And so I always had this this language of expressing myself like through and with my body. Um, and so I've never really been someone who's like super excited to go to the gym. But I remember when I found the yoga practice, the first time I had a class, I was like, this is just really amazing as someone who is always been like deeply spiritual, but in a way that's not like dogmatic or a way that feels really restrictive. Um, I had a, my mom is and did a really good job. Like when we were younger of not forcing anything on us in terms of religion and spirituality. Um, and so yoga just felt really open and freeing for me. And it was a way to take care of my body, but I also just felt great, like mentally and emotionally and connected spiritually. So it became one of the practices that I went to, like, as I was teaching, um, and we talk about toxic, like grind culture, and it exists so terribly in schools. And so yoga was one of the ways that I was able to come back to myself. And I remember going on a yoga retreat and I was like the only black woman um, or one of two black women in this space. And I remember saying to myself, like, I'm going to hold this type of space. I'm going to lead this type of space, but it's going to be for women who look like me because we not only do we need this, but we need this crafted in a way that makes sense for our bodies, for our experiences, for our journeys, which led to me creating She Imprints, um, which is my, my wellness organization. Um, and we serve at the intersection of wellness and justice, but for women and girls of the global majority. Um, and so I was able to actually go back to Panama where you and I met and, and let my first international retreat there this, this past August. So my, my path is, it's been really fluid. It did start with me speaking life into it though. Like I believe in manifestation. I believe in like the power of the tongue and being able to speak things into being, even if you're a child, like, I think children are the best of us. They are the best of humanity. Um, they have to be protected at, at all costs. They have to be, you know, and a part of why I wrote this book toward liberation is just really understanding the ways that Black children need to be cared for and seen and prioritized and protected. And as an educator and as a Black child who went through pub public schools, I know that that is not always the case. And that is by design, right? Like that is tied to systemic oppression. Um, and so all of all of who I am and all of, you know, the ways that I choose to show up and, and choose to work has been a, it's for me, it's all hard work. I cannot do anything that I'm not passionate about. Like I I just 
I just can't, like, I don't do a good job when I don't care. I don't do a good job when I, when I don't feel as though my heart and my soul are connected to something. And so I can honestly say that all of the facets and the manifestations of like my work, it's because it's tied to like my soul and my being. Also, you know, I'll say in terms of like the writing and the dancing and the way that I hold space, um, you know, I, I, I grew up like as an artist and like being able to express in that way and teaching is very much an art form. And so it is, yeah, everything has been soulful. It's been fluid. It hasn't been easy. Um, I think actually think that choosing the work that you're called to do, choosing the work that at least for me, you know, that you're, it seems like is most aligned with your soul, at least for me has, has felt the most challenging. It hasn't been easy in any kind of way, but um it's also been most nourishing and most rewarding for me. Um, I just don't know how I could be anything or anyone other than like who I am. Um, And the more that I learn about myself, the more that I dive, you know, more deeply into my spiritual journey, into my healing journey, into my love journey, into my joy journey. I just learn more about myself and out of that comes more like more businesses, more projects, more opportunities, you know, people seeing something in me and saying, can you lead this? Can you guide this? Can you write about this? You know, might this be a, you know, a great way to collaborate? So yeah, it's been really, really heart, heart led for me. Thank you for sharing so much with such depth about your, your journey and what you shared about the teacher and this is also in toward liberation asking you what you what you um wanted to be when you grew up that the things that came through about doctor and and writer and how these things show up now and what you what you do like you're prioritizing wellness you are an author you're holding space in these different ways you're centering healing so you knew there was clarity and i really appreciated the the like someone asked me and we as black people and particularly black children are not when we were children right not always asked what do you want to do what do you want to be our dreams weren't held with care and reverence i mean as you said that is you were talking about the education system by design right how we are treated and also what you spoke about imagination and so the link between imagination and dreaming and manifesting i just wanted to uplift that as well and what you named about i mean you said earlier that healing isn't linear from what you described your your path aligns with what you said you would do in third grade and also i'm not sure it's felt linear as a path maybe it has um i find that what you named about when people are doing their soul work right what what they feel called to do when they respond to that call that often it's not it's not easy even if it looks like it like having clarity about what one wants to do can seem like oh it's great and easy and yet if we continue to get called back to the same thing by our soul and and we want to continue to be in alignment and integrity it's not always easy so i appreciate you you naming that um and the the like clarity around education was my way to freedom and then toward liberation i'm thinking about like the connection between that sentence and your book toward liberation and i i would love to dive into it more deeply and i want to hear some about um how this i asked about your path and how this book came to be and like 
anything you want to share about its structure, if you want to share that, obviously everyone listening needs to go get it. And I would love for you to share some about how did it come to be in this process of, of um, writing you've gone through to, your book is on my desk, to create such a beautiful, beautiful offering for us. So I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. So in 2019, I was, I was working, whew, I was working as a, as an assistant principal um, at a charter school in New York city. And uh, there was a really good friend of mine who was also an author. She reached out to me to interview me for her book because she wanted a school leaders or school administrators perspective on, you know, like how do we coach teachers and support educators from an administrator's perspective on how to center anti-racism and anti-bias work within schools. So, you know, where we are in 2023 when this book is coming out is not quite where we were in 2019. Like there wasn't, you know, so much pushback. There wasn't, you know, legislation that was being drafted drafted around, um, you know, this work that is really about honoring liberation. It's about honoring love. It's about honoring truth telling. Um, And so there was, I think there was more of a fluidity and more of an an openness in terms of that um, less of a fear around the work, but still like a a really deep need to make sure that this, you know, that these are practices, that these are ways of being that are prioritized in schools. Um, And a part of, you know, that interview for my friend's book, you know, I shared with her some resources that I had published before through Learning for Justice um, that really provided educators with, you know, how do I talk about race? Like, um, especially, and I I say this, I think every time I talk about this particular piece now that has been, you know, widely circulated, it's called Don't Say Nothing. And I remember um, having a dream. Um, I cannot remember which young um, black male had been murdered by police because there's been so many and I can't remember specifically who it was when I wrote that piece, but I remember having a dream, you know, waking up and then writing that piece. And from that piece and other um, articles that I wrote for Learning for Justice and a few other education public education publications, um, an editor reached out to me um, and asked, you know, would I be willing to write something, but specifically for educators? And, you know, my answer was like, absolutely. Yes. Like I, I'm seeing from the work that I do, I'm, I, I have a belief and I have a really deep understanding and the power of this work based on just what I've been able to do in the classroom with my students. Um, and so like, yes, this is something that I'm, you know, open to doing. And initially when I started writing the book, each chapter, um, like, you know, my editor was saying, and she was incredible. She was like, you know, honestly, Jamila, each of these chapters, like based on the way that you're writing about it and you're talking about it can be its own book. And so how do we consolidate this? Like, how do we bring this down so that it feels like whenever, um, and this book isn't just for educators. And I, as I was writing it, you know, I, 
I think anyone who's doing justice work, you know, activism work, a lot of the tenets that I outline, it applies across the board. Um, but it's super important that when writing for educators, like it has to be accessible. It can't be incredibly long um, just because of the nature of, of the work. Um, you know, educators do consume a lot of text, but it's also something that we have to be able to pick up and it, it feels practical. Um, and so there's a lot of that in there. Um, and it became clear to me like that, yes, um, anti-racism is incredibly important, but as a Black woman, if we're just talking about racism and how we mitigate and and, and eradicate race, racism, which is very important, and we do need to have that conversation and move beyond just words, if we're not thinking about this from an intersectional justice lens, um, then my, my very own lived experience as a black woman is left out of the equation. Like we, there are some of us whose um, identities call us, cause us to live at, you know, the intersections of multiple forms of harm. And so I knew that the book needed to be holistic. Um, I wanted to talk about the role of truth telling. Um, and I could not foresee where we are now in terms of people just straight up teaching lies and telling lies. Um, but I wanted, you know, truth telling to be centered. I wanted healing and self-care to be centered because of my own journey. I ended up resigning from that position because I was, you know, working under leadership and within a space that not only prioritized and praised toxic grind culture, which is very prevalent in schools, um, but I was often... Um, attacked and um, just made to feel guilty for wanting to care for myself and wanting to set boundaries. And so that was incredibly important. And so for me, it was, you know, all of these pieces fit. We have to talk about love, which is at the end of the day, like the most important piece of this and like love and action, but truth telling and self-care and healing and activism all has to be in there. And that for me falls under this umbrella of liberation. Um, and we can't really get you know, to liberation if we're not also understanding and peeling back the layers around um, just systems of oppression and what that looks like and how it uniquely manifests in institutions like schools. And so I'm like, how do I do all of this? Well, I'll dedicate a chapter to each tenant and really guide teachers through what am I even talking about for these different tenants and what does it actually look like practically to get to this place? And, you know, some way, somehow, you know, the, the book manages to capture all of that in a way that I think is just really beautiful and impactful, but also it's, it's accessible because this is work that not only should be done, but it's something that can be done. Thank you so much for, sharing more about it and how it came to be and writing it. And I always say a book, like I held up your book a few minutes ago, is more than a book, right? As evidenced by what you shared about your path and what you just shared about how this came to be. I can hold it. It's tangible. And there's so much that has gone into it um, from your experience, your, your work, your practice. Um, and so I just invite people to remember that, right? We hold the, the thing, right? Which is beautiful and it's, it's so much bigger than my being able to hold this book. It's everything you shared about it and the importance of it. And what you said about what you said about this book is not just for educators, which is right. Like anybody who cares about 
our collective liberation and the future <laughs> and how we live out what is happening now needs to read this book toward liberation. So I would invite everyone to to get a copy and to work with it. And what you named about accessibility, there are questions in there and practices, and it feels like a resource and tool that can be revisited over and over and over. And so that was, that's been my experience as I've been moving through it. And I have a question about, um, you mentioned love. I actually have two questions about love and, and one, this is in the introduction, I believe you, um, shared about your love of blackness, your love for children, your love for children that that look like you. And when I read that, I mean, I was moved by it. And I also thought, well, what what was the process of learning to love you and blackness and children who look like you? And you may not have, maybe you came out, out that way, right? I'm just thinking about what we internalize as black people. That's really the essence of the question. And and it was it was just so very striking when I read it. I wasn't surprised. I was just like, oh, yes. And I was like, well, what was the process of getting there in a world that, as we have named in different ways, dismisses us and our blackness and our pride in being black and our worthiness and our resiliency, right? And our wisdom. So that's why I'm asking the question. That is such a beautiful, beautiful question. Um, are very visual. So what you did with your hand, like, did you come out that way? I have to think about my mother and and that made me think about my grandmother. Um, So one, it is, it's still a journey loving myself as a black woman. It is, I am, I am that person that will sometimes just like Google, like, how do you love yourself? And like, what are self-love practices and not checking them off as a list, but just as a way of just understanding that yes, because of the world that we live in, understanding the different ways that racism manifests and understanding that a part of that is it is interpersonal it it can be and often is within the black community in so many of our spaces and certainly within our families internalized and understanding like the source like where that comes from but when i think about my mother and i think about my grandmother especially my mother she is incredibly pro black and there were ways that i and and loves blackness um my dad too um and there were ways that i did not really understand that or appreciate that until i moved a, a little bit further into i think the political aspect of the work that i'm i'm doing um and the, and when i say political i mean um more around like the politics of race and activism um, and, and the scholarship like around that, but having that realization or people pausing and asking me like, you know, how did you learn about this? Like, where did this come from? And so certainly like being raised in a home where, you know, my, both my mom and my dad, like never wanted me to relax my hair. And I remember this, this is something that I I go back to, but they never, ever wanted me to relax, relax my hair. And we weren't um, like, I grew up in the nineties and um, I'm thinking about the girls 
you know, that I taught in the past decade in this beautiful embrace of just like your natural hair. I didn't have that growing up. And so for me, it was like, by the time I got to seventh grade, I'm like, I am tired of being teased. I am tired of feeling like I am ugly. Like I am tired of feeling like there's something wrong with me. Like I just didn't have that understanding. And so finally my mom was just like, okay, well, you know, we'll relax your hair. Um, and so there's always still like when I'm showing up in certain spaces, like, you know, what do I choose to do with my hair? Right. Like, and, and what is, what does that mean? Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's an ongoing journey. I, I will say, you know, a part of why I feel so passionate about the truth telling pieces, a part of what makes me so passionate about just loving blackness and loving my blackness. It is learning about my ancestry. It is learning about like what black people have contributed. It is understanding just like, the power and the beauty and the influence and the magic of black women. And I think Spelman for so much of that um, and being able to be in spaces like a historically black college built specifically for black women. Um, like that was a huge part of just my self-love journey. I don't know that it ever took me any particular action to look at black children and love them. Like there was, I don't think I, I don't think I, was ever at a place where I did not love black children. I was always clear um, that when I show up and in, in a space as my educator self, I'm here to advocate and I'm here to hold space and I'm here to protect and I'm here to love because I don't believe that, I don't believe that anyone sees black children the way that black women do. Um, and so for me, it is, it is almost hard to be able to name. Um, it is something that I do through action and through practice and through just like this deeply protective nature and way it came across in my teaching in terms of like my expectations for students and the conversations that I would have for them. Uh, you know, the type of content that I would place in front of them, you know, the ways that I would fight you know, with folks around, you know, certain things don't have a place here. Certain things, you know, do need to be here. Um, and, and that coming from not only just a love of children, of Black children, of children of the global majority, but just of like my people. And so, um, but it is a it is a lifelong, I think, journey. Um, I don't think that I'm perfect at self-love, but I think I'm quite loving like to myself and, and, and in understanding and in doing so understanding like, you know, there could always be more, there could always be more, because as you said, like, there are so many ways that we continue to be dismissed and overlooked and ignored and told that we're not lovable. Um, and, you know, all having all of these labels, you know, and things thrown at us. Um, and so it is, it is a, a journey, but it's a worthy journey. And it's one that I just continue to choose because we're worthy and I'm worthy and you're worthy. <laughs> Thank you, Jamila. Yes, we are worthy. And and I appreciate you sharing about your your journey and the influence of your um, mom and um, grandmother and father you mentioned as well and ancestors and this process of remembering where you come from. You didn't use that language, but as a, a pathway um, toward toward love and that self-love is for for many of us an ongoing journey. Um, and and my I have one more question about love, and I think it's my my final question, um, which is you end the book by talking about love and vibration and love as the most powerful force toward liberation. Um, and I'm wondering how love is the most powerful force toward liberation. You just spoke about 
self-love and loving, right? And I think you answered it in part in the way you you answered that question. And I just want to know if there's more because I was like, absolutely, I'm here for that. And I don't, I don't experience people centering love that much, especially in organizing and activist spaces um, and likely not in educational spaces or institutions for sure because of how they're structured. So that's where my question's coming from. Like, how is it the most powerful force? Like, what do you, toward our liberation? Yeah, it feels so obvious to me, but it's also really hard to explain. I know I talk a lot about bell hooks in that chapter because just the way that she talks about love is is really, really powerful. Um, I think about love and healing in this. Th- there are a number of ways that I, I know that love is most the most powerful tenant or the most powerful force or peace when we think about liberation one it's source so for me you know sometimes when I'm thinking about love or what to call the creator spirit for me it is love I think that well one educators talk a lot about love and and I talk about this in the chapter it's like in this really feel good way that really kind of dampens and and downplays the power of love. Um, I think about a quote by Dr. Cornell West, where he talks about justice um, is what love looks like in public. And often when I'm working with educators, I go back to that because a lot of educators use this idea of love and this kind of feel good Cupid kind of way to be passive. And when I think about kind of like spiritual bypassing and spiritual spaces, we use love as a way to get people from doing the really hard work that needs to be done in the name of justice. I think that that's one um, and why, you know, love has to be named. Two, um, love for me is a verb. So if someone is constantly saying to me that you love me, but your actions are not aligning, you know, I don't, I don't feel loved because your actions do not align. And so when I think about, you know, what I wanted to say to educators and folks who are going to read this book who are in activist spaces and justice spaces or spaces working with young people, love has to be active. Like it's it's not passive. Um, like the yoga practice is not pa- it's not a passive practice. Um, and so that it requires that we do. Um, and often it requires that we do things that are hard with the third piece that I think is incredibly important. And I also talk about this in the chapter, chapters on self-care and healing. I just don't think it's possible, Michelle, for people to truly love themselves, to like truly understand the beauty and the power of their divine being, to love themselves, to be connected with spirit, soul, love, the creator, like whatever that source is that you want to name energy, whatever it is for you. I do not think that it is possible to be connected with yourself, with the creator, with spirit, with love in that way or in any way and to engage in ways that uphold harm, that uphold injustice, that uphold and promote and perpetuate bigotry. I just don't think it's possible. And I talk about you know, healing is also so important because it is this disconnect. It is this disconnect of our connect of just the, yeah, the connection between each other as human beings, each other as divine beings. It is this disconnect that we have, especially in the Western world, like from ourselves and our spirit that I think causes so much of the harm and the injustice. And I, I know that when you truly love yourself, when you are truly, I think about how you 
feel like at the end of like a yoga class or a yoga retreat or after you get out of the ocean or you see something really beautiful or you hear something really beautiful, that serene, quiet, beautiful place. I just don't think it's possible to be there and to have that type type of connection with love and to contribute harm, right? So in that way, for me, like love is the most important. Thank you for speaking to love in the way, um, the, the different ways you have and our interconnectedness through that and the connection between loving ourselves and recognizing ourselves as divine beings and what that means about our outward expression then and how we relate to other beings um, feels really powerful. And the, what you named about, you know, people can talk about love, but love is a verb, right? What does it mean to practice love? What does it mean to extend love? What does it mean to offer love, right? What does it mean to show that we love one another? And what are we willing to risk because we love one another, right? Like, and and we're thinking about what is happening now and into the future. So I appreciate that a lot. And I want to, again, I thank you for writing Toward Liberation. Um, of course, a link to it will be in the show notes. And also want to thank you for spending time with me today and flowing in our conversation. And I could go on. I, I have loved this time with you and learning more about your path and journey for sure. So thank you so much for for being here in this way, for being on the planet now, for being love and for transforming spaces in all the ways you do. Thank you, Jamila. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga, and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement, practices, as well as monthly divination readings. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book that came out in August of 2023. The book is titled A Space for Us, A Guide for Leading Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Affinity Groups, published by Beacon Press. This book is a love song and a gift to Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, as well as people of the global majority. I encourage you to purchase it if you are interested in facilitating affinity groups for BIPOC and people of the global majority, and if you're interested in learning more about anti-racism work. In addition, many of you know, We Healed Together came out in April of 2023, and Thank you for your support of We Heal Together, and I hope you continue to support it and work with it and move through the rituals and practices to build community and connection. Thank you so much, and take care.